episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Loaded Sport. Tonight it is going to be a very short sprint, much like what will be going down in the Formula F1 this weekend. Joining me tonight is a man that will be walking me through the preview of Austria as well as talking through the uh, upcoming second test in the Ashes series, as well as the latest transfers and, well, more specifically, rumours going off in the football world. And it is a... uh, is a limited supply of opinions tonight. Sam and Kemp are busy this week, so unable to join us. So to help me go through what I uh, just gave you there is uh, Aggie. Aggie, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, mate. Thank you. Uh, I've been tr- doing this podcast now, haven't we, for about... F- is this episode 54, 55, did you say? So, uh, episode 55, yeah. We started in November, so we're, we're around, what, seven months now, so... Yeah, and if there's one thing I've learned from doing all of this, it's the array of sports that we've started covering. So I've tried to move my sort of knowledge away from just the typical Formula One and football. And over the course of the weekend, I saw myself playing golf, watching the UFC a little bit as well, and then, uh, strangely, at the weekend, watching uh, baseball as well. Yeah, at the London Stadium. At the London Stadium, yeah, watching uh, the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals playing. So that was a different experience for me. And now I've downloaded the NBA 2K23 game. So something different for me and I'm going to suck at all of them, so... Uh, there we are. I wonder if uh, if we'd never started this, uh, that would have been what your last week would look like. I, I'd guess probably not as much as that, but uh, look, if it means more knowledge and, and more interest, I'm, I'm I'm a bit gutted you've chosen the one week that Kemp's not here to say you've been watching UFC, because I'm, I'm sure he would have appreciated the conversation, but uh, we'll keep what, that one in the back pocket for when he's back next week, uh, I'm sure. If he's back next week, he's still on holiday, so... Uh, he might not be back in time uh, to make episode 56, but we'll see. I digress. So let's get into, uh, let's start off with football. And, and like I said, we, we are recording a little bit earlier than we would normally um, in the week. And, and there's not really much been happening. I know we made the joke last week about how we thought things were going to be quiet because the season was over. Um, and I think this is one of those weeks. There's not really anything in terms of official transfers done and dusted to talk about. It is just more the latest on, on what's already been discussed and, and a couple of rumours. And we'll, we'll start with uh, Declan Rice, as someone that was discussed by you three during my uh, couple of weeks off. Um, Arsenal have now had two bids rejected. It's been reported today that Man City have had a, a £90 million plus um, add-ons, which are, are rumoured to be around £10 million, uh, rejected as well. Uh, and Arsenal are believed to be very close to be uh, officially presenting a third offer. So knowing what Arsenal have offered so far, Knowing now that Man City have had a hundred pound, a hundred million pound all in um, bids rejected, Arsenal, do you think they might start getting a bit of, of cold feet and, and wanting to offer more than that, or do you think that that's no? We we know we need a couple of extra players to get over the line. He's the perfect kind of player that we need. We're, we're all in on him. Where, where do you think they stand with that after that City bid got rejected? I think, and I said from the very beginning of the transfer window, that they've got to throw everything they've got at him to make sure that he finishes this transfer window at Arsenal. Because if Man City get him, you've just got to think of how much of a force that side's going to be. They're already difficult to to get something over on. And all right, Gundogan's gone and they might see a couple more players leave. But 
in general, Pep's building a side there that's going to stand the test of time, and they've won the treble, and I think they're in as good a position now, probably the best position we've ever seen a side in, to go on and win the quad. And I said that a couple of weeks ago too, both Kemp and Sam. And Arsenal, I know they finished second last season, and Kemp thinks that they're going to drop off the boil a little bit, but my honest opinion is Arsenal are probably the closest we've got to them at the moment. Manchester United, depending on what they do, if it looks like they're going to miss out on Harry Kane, maybe you'd see them as the third best in the Premier League at the moment. But I think Arsenal have to throw everything they've got to make sure that they are defensively solid for next season because it's silly mistakes that cost them that title this year. And Declan Rice is one of those players that you need to make sure is in your team. I know they've spent... Uh, I can't remember who it is they've just spent the money on, to be fair, as well. That's that's how much attention Arsenal, I've been paying sorry. tonight. Yeah. Um, they've Well, it's not officially 100 million percent done, but it is done is um, Kai Havertz. Kai so Havertz, far. of course it is. Yeah, Kai Havertz. That's showing how much I've done that research, doesn't it? No, Kai Havertz. That, I think they spent too much money on. They, that funds could be much better utilised by going towards... Um, going towards Declan Rice, I think he's a good signing. But as I said at the time, I think the money was a little bit too much for what they're getting out of him. Because you look at that attack of Arsenal, their starting lineup is going to be uh, Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, and Jesus. That's going to be their forward four if they're playing that four-two-three-one. And Havertz, Trossard, they're not going to fit into that starting lineup. Is is if they play the sort of form that they was in for the majority of last season, those two players aren't even going to get into that side. So spending £60 million on someone that's going to be a substitute, an impact substitute for you, I think is a bit silly. But if they've got the funds available to go for Declan Rice, they need to it over the £100 million and they need to make sure they're outbidding Man City. It's difficult, but Pep's going to be smart with his money and if he feels like the bid's too high, he's not going to spend the money on somebody like Declan Rice. I know that. So Arsenal need to make sure they're outbidding him because if it's a choice between Arsenal and Man City, we, we'd say the exact same. You're going to go and play for Pep in Manchester. Yeah, and it's quite interesting as well because despite them being first and second in the table last season, they are different projects and they are at different stages, as you mentioned there. Man City have just won the treble. Does he look at a player like uh, uh, Calvin Phillips, who, similar situation, played for, you know, English midfielder, playing for a team lower down in the table, got that big move and, you know, the the jokes about the playing time Calvin Phillips has got this season. I do rate Rice higher and I, I would assume that given he, if he were to join City, he would get a lot more minutes and be you know, a, a heavy starter in that team, um, especially with City uh, losing Kovacic, uh, not Kovacic, sorry, uh, Gundogan, they obviously bought Kovacic in. So, yeah, it is quite interesting. In Arsenal, you're kind of seen as that missing piece where you're in addition to City. Um, I suppose location as well, you know, Arsenal in London. So, he would, um, he, you know, you assume he wouldn't have to move or anything like Manchester either has to move or... There's, there's obviously quite a big uh, commute as well. So, yeah, despite them being first and second best teams in the, in English football last year, they are very different projects. So I suppose it comes down to what kind of team and what kind of project Declan Rice wants to be a part of, but different aspects go go into that. I just uh, I mentioned Kovacic there, um, having joined Manchester City, and, and I just want to lead that transfer into uh, another, another one that's featuring heavily in the news, and that's Mason Mount moving potentially to Manchester City. So I just want your thoughts on this. Now, given, yes, Mason Mount is 24 years old, Kovacic is 29, so there is an age gap there. But the one of the things that we've seen quite a lot is the United tax, which, <laughs> you know, United fans see as where pretty much since Fergie left, to be honest, and that first David Moyes transfer window that was absolutely shocking. We, you know, they were going to get all these players, help Moyes get set up, and they ended up with Juan Mata and then Marouane Fellaini right at the depth. Uh, death. 
for a lot more money than what originally Everton wanted, but United said no, and then they ended up panicking on the last day of the transfer window. So ever since then, there's been this kind of perceived United tax where teams know United are desperate, so they're going to charge them more knowing that they'll pay it. And granted, United have spent a hell of a lot of money um, over the years since Fergie have left, but um, Kovacic going to Manchester City for £30 million, same is in a contract year. So again, granted, there's a bit of an age difference there, but what are your thoughts on that of, of Manchester City? They're not a desperate team. They could pretty much go out and get pretty much any, any player that they want. They've signed a player from Chelsea for £30 million in Kovacic. Manchester United want Mason Mount, also in a contract year. Mason Mount has been very clear about he wants to leave now. He doesn't want to sit for another year and, and run out of the contract. But they can't seem to be in agreement. It's been back and forth. Every other day, There's a United have offered this and it's been rejected. City, uh, Chelsea seem pretty adamant. I think they're looking around a 65 plus £5 million in add-ons. So, looking around 65, 70 million um, in the United seem to value in more around the 50 slash 55 million mark. So based on that, based on the history over the years since Vega left, do you think that that sort of United tax conversation and thought is, is warranted? And, you know, why do you think uh, Chelsea were more inclined to let a Kovacic go for 30 million, but don't seem to be budging, budging on a Mason Mount who like Kovacic is in his contract year? I think it's just typical of big team supporters, isn't it? If something doesn't go the way, it's oh, the world's against us, that kind of thing. And I don't think United tax is a thing at all. I, I do agree with what Kemp and Sam have said in the past, and you might have said it yourself, that the Premier League does tend to throw higher prices at players than maybe players coming in from abroad. And I'm not quite sure what the reason or what the logic is behind that. I agree with Manchester United that Mason Mount isn't worth the £70 million price tag that Chelsea are offering, and I don't think Chelsea have as much wiggle room as they like to think they've got. In 12 months' time, he'll be out of contract, and he's open to move to any other side, and he's already said that he's looking to go to Manchester United. At that point, from Chelsea's perspective, you're on a bit of a downward spiral. You've just brought in a manager that's known for building a good squad. He did that at Tottenham. He's done that at multiple other sides as well. In, uh, in Pochettino, you let him do what he thinks the right thing is. You let Mason Mount go, you cut your losses. It's 20 million at the end of the day. To Chelsea, that's not here nor there. You take the the 50 million that you can get, you put it into somewhere else in the squad and you strengthen that squad a little bit more. Was Mason Mount not a project of their youth academy as well? So really it's 50 Correct. million games. since they were, but yeah, Biggum and Declan Rice were there at the start. And so, yeah. Yeah, so it's, a, it's really 50 million gained, if anything. So at the moment, yeah, they're set to lose nothing and we've got Mason Mount for another year, but would you not rather get the 50 million in, in cash in and be able to put that money elsewhere in the squad? You're saving on wages as well, which I'm sure is on a fair fortune. The only downside of that is you're going to Manchester United and unfortunately for Chelsea at this point I don't think Manchester United's their fight I think they're struggling they're both fighting for very different things at the minute I think Chelsea are just trying to get themselves back into Europe and I think United are in a very good position to push themselves on a little bit further and maybe challenge for for the title and maybe put a bit more pressure on City and Arsenal who last year of course were runaway leaders weren't they yeah absolutely and, and I know we had the discussions around the end of the World Cup where I, I mentioned that, you know, should it be a three-horse race and not to say United were going to win it or had a realistic chance a long way, but considering the table at the time, they were in the conversation. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely three or four squad pieces away. Um, and as I mentioned there, there seems to be a bit of a standstill. United don't really want to pay more than what they've bid already. Chelsea don't seem to want to come down from that. A couple of other names, uh, Moises Casado from Brighton, who I know we spoke about a while ago in January about a potential move to Arsenal. He apparently is uh, United's second choice. Uh, Adrian Rabio as well, potentially on a free from Juventus, who United were very, very heavily rumoured to be in for in January uh, before they took uh, Sabitzer on loan from Bayern Munich. So it does seem like there is a backup plan in place. But for me as a United fan, I think the frustration is, is that Chelsea have done business already. 
Um, Arsenal have done business already and looking to do more and spend quite a bit of money. Liverpool have done business already. City have done business already. And it just seems to be this common theme, especially over the last, say, five years or so, where the teams around them are doing business and it's just talk and bids rejected until they end up paying out the nose for someone that wasn't worth anywhere near that and they just got desperate because they were running out of time. So a little bit disappointed to see that seems to still be the case, but there's plenty of time left until the, the start of the season. Uh, and the close of the transfer window. So hopefully this time next week when we're recording episode 56, either the deal's done and they can move on or there's real concrete plans in place for who they're going for because they've just said, look, we're not wasting any more time. They need a striker. A lot of uh, rumours around um, goalkeepers uh, and potential bids for other players. David De Gea is, uh, has not had his contract picked up. So they're still negotiating, but all the talk again and it is media talk we don't know anyone behind the scenes at Manchester United it is just based off of what we see in the media but the majority of signs do point towards them parting ways with David De Gea which means they're going to have to go in for another keeper so again you don't want to take too much attention away from that because you're too busy trying to get a player that the club is playing for isn't really playing ball with so yeah frustrating as it has been the common trend over the last few transfer windows but again hopefully by uh, episode 56 things will be a little bit clearer but uh, another player that was linked at the start of the transfer window with Manchester United and that seems to have gone a little bit quiet over the last two or three weeks is uh, Harry Kane and uh, it was reported by Sky Sports News earlier today that Bayern Munich had made an offer for him of £60 million plus add-ons that has since been rejected and been revealed that it was more of a, a verbal offer as opposed to an official bid. So, you know, it might have just been a, someone picked up the phone and said, Harry Kane, by any chance, will you take 60 minutes? It seems to be a bit more of a casual uh, casual conversation and offer. But Bayern Munich putting their hat into the ring when it comes to Harry Kane. We, we, I know you lads have spoken about him joining United and Real Madrid as well. Bayern Munich have now put their, their hat in there with a bid of 60 million plus add-ons. So, Harry Kane going to the Bundesliga, probably one of the more easier leagues in European football, is he that desperate for a trophy or, or do you think that will help him, um, well, suppose improve his own skill set, but ultimately his legacy when it comes to the end of his career? Um, I think, if anything, the only thing this really does is wakes up Manchester United a little bit. We've just mentioned about how they seem to leave things till the last minute and Harry Kane's been like a three-year-long transfer saga that's just never really picked up off the ground. So, if anything, now the time that Bayern Munich and Real Madrid are, are kind of putting offers in and putting feelers out there to think this is a very realistic chance that Harry Kane could be leaving Tottenham, United need to be like, look, we need to make sure that he's playing at Old Trafford because that attack, that, that side that, uh, that Manchester United have got that Ten Hag's building at the moment, would be incredible with a striker like Harry Kane there. You just think of the likes of Rashford, Fernandez, Sancho, Garnacho as well, playing in and around him. It's just going to make that attack much more of a threat with, with somebody like Harry Kane on a personal level and I want to clear this up because I've said it in the chat that I want him to leave the <laughs> Premier League I'm a huge fan of Aaron, Alan Shearer if he's going to stay in the Premier League by all means do so just don't break Alan Shearer's record that's the bit I'm more concerned about but if he does it then he does it and fair play to him but do, do you think that happens whether he stays at Spurs or goes to United do you think that he doesn't break Shearer's record I think if he stays at Spurs he doesn't I think he really, be, yeah. But I even think, at the rate he's going back to back thirty goal seasons, and yeah, I mean, he's only what fifth. He's he's under fifty behind it now. He is, but he's under fifty behind Shearer's all time record. Yeah, Shearer's two sixty. Kane finished the season around I want to say two eleven, maybe. That's two hundred eleven Spurs head, goals, yeah. though, not Premier League goals. 
He'd only recently hit 200 Spurs goals, not no, that's 200 Premier, Premier League goals. Alan Shearer sure? is top scorer in the Premier League with 200. Mate, I'm doing this off the top of the dome. Shout out to Harry Mack. So you can Google this right now if you want. But Alan Shearer <laughs> is on 260 goals. That is the record no, I know what in Shearer the Premier is, League. And I'm pretty sure Kane is around the 211 mark because Rooney, him and Rooney for, were tied second. And I'm sure that was 208 goals. But again, I might be wrong on that. I'll but double Kane check is definitely, that. Kane is definitely above 210 now. I'll double check that. But if he is, got... then yeah, without a doubt, regardless of whether he stays at Spurs or United. I thought he was a little bit further behind that in terms of Premier League goals. But yeah, in that case, then regardless. I've got it. I've got it. So Rooney is 208. Shearer is 260. Kane is 213. So that's oh, so what forty-seven wrong. goals behind. So, so yeah, surely, if, yeah, surely by the end of well, two years' time, he'll, he'll yeah. be the top scorer if he yeah. stays at Spurs. Well, stays in the Premier League. Okay, I'll hold my hands up. I was incorrect on that one, but I thought he was a little bit further away because I'm sure he celebrated two hundred goals for Spurs not too long ago, and I thought that was. Well, I mean, back again, back-to-back back so. thirty goal seasons, mate. Thirteen goals. Yeah, in but I thought it was all competitions, not just Premier League goals. So that makes more sense. So yeah, no, um, he's going to break it regardless. Then I think so, unless he leaves out of the Premier League, that's going to be his record to set for whoever moves on to next. Which at this rate looks like it's going to be early in Ireland anyway if he sticks around for a long time. <laughs> But I think United really need to now that this side's starting to pick up an interest. Before, it was just that little, oh, United may be looking at at Harry Kane, but Spurs are keeping on to him. I think he's had enough of the piss about that's going on at Spurs at the moment because for the last three, four years, they've been on on a manager merry-go-round. They've not really made any dent into the top four. They've not really improved anywhere. They've just kind of been the same old Spurs that, you know, have tried to get a little bit further forward and haven't done anything. One step forward, two steps back, and... I think Harry Kane needs to leave to get any sort of silverware because that Spurs side aren't going anywhere, anywhere quick. And I, I think with Postacoglu, I think it's not even going to pick up anytime soon. Brendan Rodgers saw it himself. Stephen Gerrard saw it themselves. When they moved from the Scottish Premier League to the Premier League, it's a much tougher task. It's a different kettle of fish entirely. And I don't think even at Spurs, he's going to be able to pull up any trees or change their fortune at the moment. And Harry Kane, I said the same with Son. Credit to Son for turning down Saudi Arabia, but I think both of those players are better than what a Spurs side can offer them at the moment. And I think Kane going to Manchester United is the right move for him and for United. Yeah, that, I suppose I'd say I agree, but that would be classed as biased, I'm sure. But look, I'm a huge I fan. I thought you were a Chesterfield fan, so I have no idea, mate. <laughs> I've got the shirt coming, mate. I'll make sure I wear it on a, a loaded spot episode coming soon, maybe for the season preview. But uh, I'm a big fan of Postacoglu. I think he's a brilliant man manager. I think his his tactical approach is underrated as well in terms of what he can coach his team to do. Uh, I wasn't a part of the episode after it was announced that he joined Spurs, but uh, I said it, oh, I can't remember now, a couple, two, three months ago, maybe my thoughts on the Spurs squad. You take out Kane, you take out Son. Kulashevsky, who I think is a very talented player, they're a pretty dead squad. When you put the when you put those sort of top six squads on paper, forget about recent form, forget about managers, forget about what's happened. Just the squad of players on paper. I think the gap between Spurs and Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, um, Arsenal, City, United, even a Newcastle with where they're going at the moment is is there's daylight there. So yeah, again, it's all down to legacy. We spoke about it, don't we? Harry Kane can be that kind of player that can be remembered as the Premier League all-time top scorer, but would he rather have a couple of trophies? I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's that's what he'd want. But time will tell. If you're Tottenham, considering the the place in the league that you want to be at, you want to be a top four team pushing for Europe and, you know, the amount of clubs that are going to be there, are you more inclined to sell Harry Kane to Bayern Munich for, say, £60 million or a Man United for, say, £80 million? I think... 
for Spurs at the moment, it's similar to the Chelsea situation. The fight isn't with United. They've got a, they're in a rebuild at the moment, and they really need to start spending some of the money on on players that are going to make a difference for them. The likes of Eric Dyer aren't going to be able to cut it for them anymore. They've let Lloris go. I think they've just signed a new goalkeeper from Empoli as well. Um, I think that happened on Tuesday. So yeah, they're, they're starting to pick up a couple of signings, but is it really going to be the difference maker for them? I think it's got to be a case of just take the money. So if United offered more than what Bayern Munich are offering, you know, take that. Speak to the player as well. If he wants to go to, to play in Bayern Munich to guarantee himself trophies, or if he wants to go to play to, at Real Madrid, obviously one of the more historic teams outside of England, then then obviously accept their offer and look at United. I mean, I'm sure he'd love to go and play there as well and, and stick within England is England captain and, and maybe go on and hopefully win some silverware with the, the national team as well. But I think for Spurs, it's just a case of taking the money because is his contract not up in a year or two as well? Harry Kane is next year, I believe, yeah. So he's yeah, another so player that... situation. Do United get Mount and Kane next summer then and just wait out for a year? But I'm sure if Kane's going to be potentially leaving on a free, there'll be a lot of clubs around Europe that... Uh, will be uh, inviting him for dinner and a few talks with his agent. So. I think, if anything, that's something that... This is quite the polar opposite, really, of what they've got to do with Mason Mount. So with Mount, I think you can probably wait the year and then get him on a free. With Kane, it's a case of, look, you know when you trade for like a seventh rounder in the NFL just to make sure that you're the one that's got that player? Do something like that. Chuck in a bid for like 60, 70 million. I'm sure Spurs will, will even consider it. Obviously, that's what Bayern Munich have done now. They're trying to you know test the water, see just how low they can really get him for with that year left, knowing that other sides are going to be interested. United need to join that race, chuck in like an 80 million bid, just see what they're going to say. If they say no, they say no, but you've kind of signalled that intent there straight away. And if they say, yeah, you've got first refusal on one of the top talents in the world at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we, we spoke, you, you mentioned there about difference makers for Spurs potentially. And uh, James Madison has, again, reported by Sky Sports News, agreed personal terms with them. Um, that doesn't mean that a, uh, a, a the amount of money in terms of a transfer fee has been agreed between Spurs and Leicester. That that will obviously be quite a long and complicated conversation. Um, but it, it is rumoured and reported that Spurs and Madison have agreed personal terms should that time come. Um, it did look like it was going to be between, between Spurs and Newcastle for the signature of James Madison. But uh, Newcastle announcing early in the, this week that they'd signed Sandro Tonali from AC Milan, who haven't seen much of him, or haven't really seen anything of him, to be honest. But from what I've seen since that signing, it is largely positive. Quite a similar player from what I've seen. And uh, Carowin, big fan of the show, um, said that if he's anything like his football manager potential, then he'll be a great signing. So uh, it does seem like Newcastle have got their player in that kind of position now which opens the door for Spurs. So if they bring James Madison in, a leading player in that Leicester side, despite their poor form and relegation last season, would you class him as as that difference maker that you mentioned for Spurs a moment ago? No, I think he's definitely going to be an important piece and I definitely is going to think he's going to be like a game changer for them. But I think what they need is somebody more defensively. And I think Madison's more attack-minded. He'll help out with Kane, with Son, with Kulosevsky, but... I think what Tottenham really need to look at is somebody more defensive-minded to help them out because that's where their issue is at the moment. The creativity is not. They've got a goal-scorer in Kane. They've got Son and Kulusevski who are quite effective. And Madison, who we already know is a wizard when he's in form. So defensively, I think that's where Spurs really need to focus. Madison is a great signing, don't get me wrong. And Spurs have, have got a great player there if they do agree terms with Leicester. But now they need to look defensively. I think that attack is pretty much sorted. If they can all stay fit and healthy... 
then look defensively, and that might be the difference maker that Spurs really need. But at the same time, they've got to keep Kane and Son happy, and I think there's only so long you can keep those two types of players happy when they're not winning anything, and dare I say it, not even really competing for anything. They're certainly not competing for much lately, but time will tell, as always, as to what Postacoglu can offer to that side. But yeah, like I said, if they're going to start losing their, their top, top players, the, the job's only going to get harder. Um, just very quickly, that, that's pretty much the Premier League and the latest. But before we get into cricket, a bit of activity with Chesterfield this week. Um, you know, Give us a bit of an update on that. We, we do like to cover you know the leagues that we have a bit of an investment in. So what's the latest in the Chesterfield camp and... Uh, are they, as the days and weeks go on, justifying their position as the bookies' favourites to win the National League next year? Yeah, I think we are. I can only apologise. I've just noticed that there's a, a carrier bag that keeps appearing in the background here whilst I've got this uh, background all set up. So, yeah, it's weird how technology works, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> yeah, regarding Chesterfield, yeah, we've signed a goalkeeper on loan from Everton. Um, a lot of Everton fans are actually regarding him as the uh, replacement for Jordan Pickford in a couple of years' time. So that's always nice to see. Um, Harry Trier, his name is, was on loan with Chester last season and played in the playoffs for them as well in the uh, National League North. Played every game in the season for them as well. So, yeah, it was quite an important piece for them in getting to the playoffs. Um, been told that towards the, the back end of games, if he's not really had too much to do, he tries to pull off the spectacular when it's unnecessary. But I think that's just this typical situation isn't it for a young player to try and get themselves more involved in the game um, but apparently he's a fantastic talent and a great pickup for us so yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy with that one uh, that joins the signings of Will Grigg that we've already got of course and the sign of Bailey Hobson who we got uh, the first signing that we made and uh, hopefully a couple more down the Tom line Naylor as well, as well Tom Naylor of course I can't forget Tom Naylor mate the things that have been said by Wigan fans about Tom Naylor um, in the, the championship of course they got relegated to League One but the people just so surprised that he's made the drop to the National League and he was ever present for them last season in the league so it surprised me as well that he's dropped down from the championship to the National League and I know what you're going to say you're going to turn this back on me with the whole I, Wrexham I'm, thing in, in editing I'm just going to play that clip from the previous episode when I said about using your links because he, he's made it clear about wanting to work with Paul Cook so maybe about now and then we're back. I'm not actually going to put that in. That's why I didn't pause too long. But uh, yeah. What was it I said really, to you? You either die yeah, a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Look, if it's um, what if it's what's going to get us over the line and back in the football league, it is what it is. And you know what I didn't like exactly, about Wrexham. Exactly. So just don't don't moan about Wrexham. Next it time. was the media coverage saying. I didn't like about Wrexham. And as part of the media, I have the right to say something that I don't like. Okay. I'll uh, we'll agree <laughs> to disagree on that. And I think you're being a bit hypocritical, but um, here it is. But I know the one signing we spoke about a few weeks ago when it came to our own clubs and I had a bit of an input, but Chesterfield, the one signing everyone's hoping for is Andrew Dallas. It, it's pretty much every man and his dog knows it's going to happen. It is done. It's a case of when it's going to be announced. You've even said, I don't know why, why it's not been announced yet. You're in Portugal no, currently doing get me some in training. Trouble. but going to get me in trouble. No, no, Every it's man fine. and his dog's talking it's about fine. it on no. Twitter and Facebook. No, mate. my understanding is he's, he's signed, he's going to sign, he's, he's going to be with us next season. A lot of people are saying that they're confident that we're going to have Andrew Dallas. The one for me that I'm surprised about over this last week is the announcement that Jordan Ibe is on trial with us. Of course, having okay. played for Liverpool, Bournemouth, Derby County in the past. So he's quite experienced. I don't think he's played for about a year and a half. So my understanding is it's just going to be a case of, you know, he's he's gone to train with some players that he knows. You, of course, working with Kieran Dyer before. He knows some of these players that we've got within the squad. So just training, you know, to get his fitness back up to go and move to a team. But that's that's more of the expectation. He's not going to sign with us on a permanent basis. But 
part of me is also feeling like, you know, we've signed we've signed Tom Naylor. He's played for Wigan every game last season. We've just signed Will Grigg. Why not? Could it happen? Why not, indeed. Tell you what, if if all that, all that and more goes through and you still do not go up next season, sorry, <laughs> we still do not go up next season, then I think it's a case just calling it quits, surely. Oh, don't! I'm not even thinking about us not going up next season. <laughs> uh, this this season, I think, because the expectation will be so high, and the squad theoretically should be so strong. And like you mentioned already, there's not really that second team where you think they're going to be the ones pushing Chesterfield at the moment. It's I think this will be the longest season of the lot because the expectation is there now. They did so well last season, so. Yeah, I, I reckon it's going to be a long nine months or so when the, when the season kicks off. The longest nine months of my life. Yeah, probably so, probably so. But I, th- I think that's pretty much it for football this week. Like I said, there's not really anything in terms of um, official news transfers and everything else that, that goes with a, a summer of, uh, well, no football on the field and, and action off of it. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week as always and, and with the longer time between recording this one and the next one. Uh, hopefully there'll be a bit more to talk about but very quickly going to get into the cricket I know Kent made an attempt at um, uh, previewing it before the first test but didn't really know what to go, uh, where to go but uh, I'll try to do a little bit better the second Ashes test starts this Thursday uh, at time of release it will be day two and, and yeah the first test was fantastic day five especially started late because of the rain and it, it really went down to the wire uh, the big news out today adam i don't know if you will have seen or really know too much about it but the team news has been announced um for the second ashes test and it has been announced that uh, josh tong i believe it is so correct me if i'm wrong well i'll just have a quick look um yes Josh Tong is going to be making his Ashes debut. He's replacing Moeen Ali, who was suffering during that first test, especially towards the end, with a blister on his uh, spinning finger. So limited in his bowling action during that uh, final day or two of the first test. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised by that selection as Josh Tong is a seam bowler. So that will make four seam bowlers. But people are saying that, A, it's down to the kind of pitch that they'll be playing on. It does favour the seam bowler. And also Ben Stokes currently struggling a little bit with a, a, a knee issue. Not enough to take him out, but certainly one where he might not bowl as often as what he has do, he would do at fully fit. So we'll allow him to focus on the bowling. So England made, made a couple of tactical changes maybe off of the back of, of what happened on that final day of the first test. Um, but we will see. Adam, I know you don't know too much about cricket, but just uh, as always put a name to a prediction. Are you going for it to be 1-1 after the second test? 2-0 to Australia, or do you think it'll be a draw and uh, Australia will still leave 1-0 before, uh, come Monday? Before I answer that question, I've got a question for you on the back of it. I'm not really, like you've already said, in with cricket, understand it entirely, but I've seen the comments of Glenn McGrath, who said that if um, Australia win at Lords, which is where the second test is, the Ashes are effectively over. Cricket. Yeah, the Ashes are effectively over. I want your opinion on that before I put my name to someone. Um, it's hard to argue it, to be honest. It's a five-test series. A, a, a singular test can end in a draw. So, yeah, if Australia win it and go 2-0 up with three to play and the potential for one of those three to be a draw, 
you'd have to agree it's not mathematically over, but it's a massive mountain to climb. Australia are uh, very slight favourites with the bookies to win the second test. And I think the confidence that they will have gained from what happened on day five, especially after the start England had a fantastic first day, averaging nearly five runs and over, which isn't very often seen in test cricket. Um, I, I would say that Australia has the advantage, but again, it's the home of cricket. The crowd was so good. They were loud and alive in the first test at Edgbaston. So I'm sure it's going to be a wall of noise and, and England will try and use that to their advantage as they have done in previous years uh, with some of the success that they've had. So honestly, it could go either way. It could be a draw it, on that on that last day. It, in the last two hours, any one of the three possible results still looked like it could happen. So if, if we... All I can say really is that if we get a similar sort of uh, outcome, then it will make for great TV again. So I'm going to go with England on the back of that. I know we declared slightly early at the end of the uh, the first innings, and I think that is going to lead to a lot more of a determination to go on and right the wrongs, what England will have learnt from their errors. And I think, like you've already mentioned, with Lords being the home of cricket and the, the crowd being behind him, it could be the difference maker. And hopefully we'll see it finish 1-1 at the end of the second um, test. Absolutely, and we'll uh, we'll be back next week in episode 56 where we will talk about it, I'm sure, because it will be done and dusted by then. So um, the last spot to cover, again, there's no Kemp's, there's no Kempy's Combat Corner, the golf major, uh, the next one isn't until next month. Um, Not a lot to talk about football, NFL, it's a quiet time of the season. Um, So yeah, we'll get stuck into F1 and and Adam, it is uh, Austria this weekend before it comes to the UK next weekend with Silverstone. Talk us through it. Fast track, great track. One of my favourites when it comes to playing the games in terms of how open it is and how quick it is. Average laps, you're looking at close to to a minute, really. I think it's one of the the lowest lap times of the whole racing calendar. But uh, I suppose the obvious is Max is going to win or if not, Perez is going to win. So if you want to give us a prediction of Max, put it out in the universe. But where do you think sort of the rest of the podium could lie based on what's happened recently? Yeah, I think Max winning's about as obvious who's going to get the number one pick in the fantasy draft, isn't it, at the moment? So, yeah, I think with Austria being one of your favourites, if not your favourite track to go about, I think the, the width, the allowing of the overtaking for for number of these cars will make it interesting for who's going to finish on the podium other than Max, who, of course, is going to go on and win it, as we all expect for Red Bull. There's been a lot of changes over the course of the last couple of weeks to a month between um, Aston Martin and Mercedes. Mercedes have now closed that gap and closed the difference between... Uh, themselves and Mercedes. Ferrari feel that they're starting to get back to what they were like a couple of years ago when they were competing with Red Bull on a bit more of a regular basis. Hopefully, we're not too far away from seeing a bit more competition for first place as opposed to everybody else fighting for second. There's been discussions about whether Checo's going to remain with Red Bull, considering the fact that he's not able to keep up the pace with Max Verstappen. What will Lewis Hamilton and George Russell do? All those questions will be able to be answered this weekend. Um, For me, of course, the, the real talking point over this past week is the fact that Alpine or Alpine if you will have got numerous different uh, new owners if you will uh, my best mates of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have decided to uh, buy some shares in Alpine I think Alpine have uh, got that with uh, Michael B Jordan as well who uh, recently took a stake out in Bournemouth so another uh, another A-list celebrity that's had a bit of interest in uh, investing in football has, uh, has joined him as well as others as well but yeah Unlike my thoughts of this for Wrexham, I actually like this in Formula One because I feel like... Is that because it, it doesn't affect Chesterfield? 
Rex McLaren. I think it's a prime example of just how big the sport's becoming. Now, there's three yeah. races in the United States. We know what Drive to Survive on Netflix has done, and the fact yeah. that now you've got these movie stars that are quite big. That, that obviously, I say quite big. They are really Don't get big. Much bigger. Don't really get too much bigger, do you? But I think the fact that they're now investing financially in teams, and they've not gone straight for you know your Mercedes or your Red Bulls. They've gone for a side that you know they can help build to maybe repeat what Aston Martin have done. Don't forget last season, Aston Martin and Alpine were pretty much on a level playing field with each other. And this year, what Fernando Alonso has done with that Aston Martin's taken it to a new level. So I think there's always that scope for improvement for Alpine. And I think the fact that those um, those movie stars have, have kind of like invested in it a little bit more is only good for the sport. In Austria, I think with all the expectations of the overtaking, that kind of thing, I think still it's going to be Max Verstappen on pole. Max Verstappen's going to win the race. I think it's going to be Fernando in second. And I think we're going to see Lewis, uh, George Russell in third. I was going to say Lewis Hamilton. I've been thinking whether okay. to go Lewis or whether to go Russell. And part of me is thinking that maybe George Russell needs to, you know, pull his socks up a little bit. They're saying about all these upgrades for Mercedes. And, yeah, we've seen a little bit from George Russell. But the majority of these upgrades, all we've really seen from it is Lewis Hamilton. You keep yeah, smiling. I'm assuming you George can... Russell's... He's having a very quiet season, isn't he? So is this the opportunity now to sort of put himself back in and amongst the pack? What do you think for Russell's time, actually? I suppose it is a bit of a... a he's only had a season and a, and a little bit, so there's not really much to go on. But what do you think about his time in a in a Mercedes so far? They, it obviously hasn't been the car that it has been in previous years, but when you look at his performance, the expectation was high based on the kind of car that it was when he joined. But looking at him against the rest of the pack without Red Bull... Do you think Mercedes are happy with him? Disappointed with him? Sort of where you know? What are your thoughts on his Russell. career as a Mercedes? Yeah, as a Mercedes driver so far. I think it's just picking up. I think what we saw from him when he kind of went in on loan from Williams when I think Lewis Hamilton had COVID. I think that's a very yeah, different. Yeah, it was in Bahrain, weren't it? And he got absolutely screwed by the engineers. Exactly. We got to see a glimpse of what he could do in a Mercedes car then. I think he's been unfortunate by the fact that the the car itself cannot compete with the likes of Red Bull and Ferrari at the moment. But I think we're going to see a lot more from George Russell. These are all little teething problems that he's just going to kind of get used to. And it's the same sort of thing with Lewis Hamilton. He's the experience that's going to help drive George Russell onto the next level. And when Lewis steps down, Russell will take over as number one driver. And he needs to be in a very strong position by that point. And I think Mercedes are in a good position now to be able to, to push on with him. They're, they're starting to get more upgrades in. They're starting to compete a little bit more with Aston Martin. And, and they're hoping that maybe this time next year they'll be a lot closer to Red Bull than they currently are. And those upgrade packages we know can can really change a team season around. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's unfortunate because you want to be excited about it. You really want to talk about it, but it's hard when one team and I suppose more specifically one driver is dominant. It doesn't make for for a great watch. But I suppose one thing that is making a giving us that fix in terms of an entertaining Formula One watch is uh, we've got into some eSport commentating, Adam, haven't we? Uh, very recently. It's only been our our third week. The new game came out last week. So we had a, we commentated on a couple of races um, in, in the last game. And last night was our first commentary experience on F123. And uh, yeah, tell uh, tell the listeners a little bit about that. And, and maybe if uh, if the quality of the races we've watched so far continue to outdo the quality of races that are happening in real life, our F1 segments might start leading with what's happening on the, on the eSports League as opposed to uh, the real one. But talk to, talk to the listeners a little bit about how we've ended up doing that one. 
Yeah, but first of all, I'll do do the bit of a, a shout out to everyone at the All Assist Soft League. They're now on season 11, so they've had quite a good run of it. I think that started in uh, F122 at the beginning. I think that will have started out. But when you think of uh, how these last three races that we've covered have gone, we've seen more safety cars than so far this season. We've seen laps where Max Verstappen isn't in first place. So the competitiveness is certainly round there. We've seen a couple of drivers, uh, VSM Sandman, who's a three-time world champion, win it three consecutive years. He's going for his fourth, and I think... Uh, yesterday when we did it, we saw ASM Jonesy, didn't we, who uh, who went ahead and won by a country mile, went off at a canter, didn't he, and, and kind of upset the, the momentum that Sandman had built and uh, named Danger Day. But it's, it's bizarre when you look at these drivers that are doing it and they're all assists are off. And for us, it's sat there and it's like, all we've got to worry about is pressing, accelerate and on occasion break and turn. And everyone else is like, you know, gears down, gears up, watching out how all the drifting's going to be going. And you see little comments afterwards in the Discord where they're all talking about these incidents that's like, oh, sorry, I didn't go down gears enough. And I'm like, mate, I don't don't even go down gears. <laughs> Do you reckon we could say we're playing without assists, but then just stick them on and then see how we get on? I think they'd know. Well, I think we'd the, still no, lose. I think, I think, to be fair, I just realized, as I was saying it, I realised when they set the league up, they probably would have set them to off, so you wouldn't have the choice anyway. But, uh, look, being a Red Bull fan, I'll be, I'll be honest, as a commentator, I'm sure you're meant to be impartial, but Danger David is my man. He's, he's a great driver, and he's, he's provided some brilliant entertainment um, in the three races we've watched so far, coming from towards the back oh, of the mate, grid. Oh, mate, you'd have loved his interview oh, yesterday. We oh, brought in interviews at the it, end mate. of it. Discord issues. If anyone knows um, how to, uh, when you're streaming, to include audio from Discord to PlayStation, uh, is up. But a uh, couple of issues with that. But uh, oh, I'll, uh, I'll go back and listen to your stream. But talk us through it. His interview was basically him talking about how this year isn't all about him, and it's the team effort. The team lost out on winning the constructors' championship, and this year him and Perez need to work together to turn things around. For Tell you what, call. mate. Perez got screwed last night. <laughs> I'm putting it on record. I know it's been discussed in a racing instance, but he got screwed. He was on a straight line. It was Gaz on Allen circa 2021 <laughs> so uh, I've, I've got all the sympathy for Perez when our race ended yesterday but yeah no it's enjoyable it's given me a different way of looking at the game I mean we've played it both with assists on and we see guys playing it alongside us with his assists off and his setup, and he's pretty much driving the cars and he's got the wheel and everything and then these people go out and do that and they're setting times that are like four or five seconds quicker than what we can set on street <laughs> races and stuff like that and I'm just thinking this is absolutely bizarre so no it's, it's great it's enjoyable it's, it brings a different aspect to video games for me because from Formula 1 perspective all I've ever done is my team in a couple of online leagues with you guys so to be able to commentate on it bring that forward and, and look at it from different aspects and see different ways of, of people driving and approaching corners and and you know different strategies and things like that it's it's good to see i'm enjoying it to be fair i'm hoping you are too yeah definitely mate definitely and uh yeah if you'd have asked me nine months ago it, um, or if you'd have told me nine months ago in nine months you'll uh you'll be 50 odd episodes deep into a podcast and you'll have started doing e-sports e commentary for formula one I'd have thought, what the fuck's going on here? But uh, no, you're right. I'm absolutely, I'm enjoying it. And it's uh, it's definitely different, but something I, you've obviously got a bit of uh, commentary experience with football, something I'm very new to, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. And it, it will only get better with time. And next race is in two weeks in Qatar. Surely it's only right we do a little mini preview next week alongside the Austria review and Silverstone preview. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? Let's bring them in a bit more. Let's do it. And the last question I will ask you on, on the All Assists Off League. And again, look look how look how passionate we are about talking. That, t that tells you everything about how much more entertaining, entertaining that is compared to actual F1 at the moment. But I mentioned that um, Danger David for Red Bull is my guy, being a Red Bull fan. But that attitude, he's a great driver. He, he's done some brilliant performances so far. You being uh, 
a McLaren fan, are you sticking with them for the all assist off league or is Quincy your guy for uh, for Mercedes? I've got to go with my boys and McLaren. Yeah, they, they've had it a bit tough, but I know the cars are all equal, aren't they? Um, yeah. And I think if if Johnsy can prove that Haas can win a race, then why can't McLaren be a bit more competitive? I've, I'm back in Maverick. Yeah, Maverick is your guy. Fair enough. You can be the goose to his Maverick, then I'm sure. But <laughs> uh, anyway, that's it for Formula One and for the sports. We are, as I mentioned, recording this a little earlier in the week. Um, everyone's got plans going off, so that's why it's just me and Ag- Aggie tonight, and we're performing. Although we are still released on the Friday, so I didn't really need to tell you that. But just to give you an insight as to why there's not actually much official news going off. So with a little bit of extra time between episode 55 and 56, and the lads returning next week, I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. But Aggie, I know we normally talk about weekends, but we've got a little bit of extra time between now and then. I know you've got a couple of bits going on outside the weekends as well, but. What you got going on between now and uh, episode 56? I am playing football twice on Wednesday, which I'm looking forward to. One is uh, out on the field where hay fever is going to absolutely destroy me. The second one is on AstroTurf, but we get to see Mudge again, and I've not seen him for a long time, so that'd be a good Give little catch-up. Give him a hug from me, mate. I will. That'd be a good little catch-up before uh, they all go away for the golfing holiday. Um, then on Thursday, I'm off to the Sheffield Arena to watch live wrestling. Uh, to watch Raw, um, and I've not seen that in about eight, nine years, so this could be an interesting one for me, but it, something I'm looking, looking forward, forward to. It. I am, mate, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've seen a list of the uh, the people that are going there. There's been some controversy over who my favourites are, but we'll see. At the end we'll of the day. see, and to be honest, mate, fair play to you. you. You might need a strong whiskey come the weekend because you're going with Gaz, and <laughs> look, you can appreciate the business, you can appreciate the skill, but he genuinely believes it's still real. So uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure by the end of the first hour, you'll be thinking, please just shut the fuck up and enjoy it. So uh, good luck with that one, mate. But we'll get stuck into it next week. We'll do a little wrestling uh, review at the end and you can talk us through how it went down. But uh, any plans for the weekend, mate? Or is it pretty smooth sailing from there up until we uh, get stuck into episode 56? I think I am back out on the golf course on Sunday. And on Saturday, I think it's going to be a nice little chilled one. Enjoying the relaxing Saturdays before the football season starts because I've only got about a week or so left, isn't it? Some friendly start on uh, on Saturday, being at the 1st of July. The football season officially restarts, doesn't it, with some of the friendly matches, some of the preliminary, extra preliminary qualifying rounds for all the different competitions. So, yeah, I'll be back to work again soon on the Saturday. So I'm enjoying the little break while I can. I like, about it, you? I like it a lot. Not a lot, mate, to be fair. Um... Saturday to be decided, Sunday's to be decided. Uh, the reason I'm not, I wasn't free to record at the usual time. I'm, I'm down in Southampton. We've got a little work event later in the week, so uh, I'll be attending that, um, which should be good. Um, but yeah, pretty steady, mate. Hopefully, because I'm not sure about the weather, but it seems to have dropped a little bit. So see what happens. Wake up, see what mood I'm in, see what the weather's like, and go from there. But I'm happy with that. But uh, hope you enjoy it, mate. Looking forward to uh, going through reviews of formula one and previews of everything that's to come as well and uh, wonder how many hairs you pulled out having to experience guys at a live wrestling show but uh, mate enjoy it and uh, that's it for episode 55 see you next week for episode 56